0: Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at fccetown.com. I'm going to start this morning by telling you guys a learning moment I've had within my first year of marriage. So uh, I'm a guy who likes to play video games. For others of you, it may be fishing or sewing or reading or woodworking or whatever, but I enjoy playing video games with my friends and family um, and some of the students here at FCC. Now, I've learned uh, while being married to ask before I play video games, to make sure that it's okay, uh, because I don't want to be unfair to Sydney, and I don't want to ruin our time together. Uh, But I've also learned that the time to play is when she leaves to go to school or go to work or something like that. but that's, that's not the learning moment. The learning moment happened one time when she was leaving to go to school or go hang out with a friend or something, and I knew it was about to be time to play some video games. And so before she left, she gave me an assignment, and she said, Taylor, before I get back, can you make sure to put the wet clothes into the dryer, put the new load into the washer, and then start the dishwasher? And I said, oh yeah, easy. No problem. I got it. Good. And so she went out, she left, and as soon as she left, I went to the PlayStation, turned on the PlayStation, hopped on my favorite game, NBA 2K, and I went into my second life as the general manager of the Indiana Pacers. It's in this other world that I make trades, I acquire players, I, uh, I build a dynasty that wins championships. And I didn't realize when I was playing how long or how, how much time had went by. You know, hours felt like minutes. And I didn't realize that while I was playing, Sydney had texted me that she was on her way back home. And, and, you know, I was playing, I was so, uh, you know, focused on the task at hand. I was dominating. Teams were asking to acquire my players. My coach was up for coach of the year. Uh, I was like the NBA version of Billy Bean, if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball. And, And so she sent this text, but I was so locked into the task at hand that that I didn't realize how much time had slipped by. And then I heard the car door outside open and close. And then boom, it was like immediately an alarm had went off in my head, warning me of all the things I had forgotten to do. And I had forgotten to do the load of laundries. I forgot to to do the dishwasher. But I knew I had 15 seconds before she came in that door. (laughs) So I moved about as fast as a NASCAR pit crew over to the dishwasher, grabbed a tablet, threw it in, pressed start. And then I ran upstairs as fast as I could like I was doing the 40-yard dash of the NFL combine, threw the load in in the dryer, put a new load in the washer, hit start, boom, finished before she even came inside. To be honest, I was pretty impressed with myself. And so as I'm walking downstairs trying to catch my breath acting as though nothing had happened, she came inside and and greeted her. I greeted her with the biggest smile acting as though I'd been hard at work the whole time. And, uh, and then after the greeting, she said, hey Taylor, did you get those things done I asked you to do? And I said, yeah, yeah, I got them. No, no worries. But then as soon as the the feeling of guilt trickled in, I, I told her the reality of what had happened and how I accidentally forgot to do everything until she got home at the last minute. And of course, Sydney, being the gracious woman that she is, just laughed and told me that she loved me. But the thing that I realized, I learned from that moment and from other moments in marriage and life in general, is that my priorities can tend to get out of whack pretty easily. Sometimes the things that should go first don't come first, and then some of the things that should, you know, be last end up being first. And so just like my, my uh, you know, desire to play video games came before doing what my wife had told me to do, I realized that sometimes when I look at my life, I'm like, man, I need to reevaluate my priorities. And so every year, uh, my wife and I, we do what we call a word of the year, where we take a word each year, and we focus on that one word throughout the year. And so uh, my word of the year for 2022 has been prioritize. I have a little post-it note that sits on my computer in my office, and it says prioritize, so I'm reminded of it, and I'm aware of it. You know, have I perfected it? No, not anywhere close. But it's something that I'm, I'm aware of and working on. But I wonder how many of us are in a similar boat. If we look at our lives, I wonder how many of us struggle with our priorities and what we put first. And so that's what I want to I focus on. I want to have that word priorities, prioritize, in the forefront of our minds as we talk about what we're going to dive into today. So we're in this series called Authentic Life. And what we've been doing as a church is walking through what the authentic life of a follower of Jesus looks like. And that word authentic sticks out to me because we live in a world that has lost or is losing the ability to be authentic. Social media is out there now and it's how the world runs and whether you like it or not. You can try to hide from it or ignore it, but it's out there and there are generations growing up now without that that don't know what life is like without social media. And social media has caused many to lose the ability to be authentic. And yeah it can be great, but you know it's on social media. No one posts a bad picture of themselves. It's always the best picture of themselves, the best pictures of their families. You know, no bad hair days, nothing, you know, to show that there's problems going on in life. And I've seen social media be used where some people act one way on social media, and then, you know, totally different in person, almost like they're two different people. Social media, it's, it's used to, you can portray whatever image of yourself you want. And so, how do we take back that authentic life and how do we as Christians authentically follow Christ? So over the past couple weeks, we've heard some amazing messages from from Doug and Jason about this. I love what Doug said about having rhythms of gratitude and how important it is to to be thankful. We see commands in Scripture of gratitude. and We see Jesus was someone who constantly thanked the Father. And I found an interesting article uh, of two professors from Indiana University, go IU, who did a study uh, of those who were struggling with mental health. They had 300 people who c- came to seek counseling, and what they found is that they, they had them try being more thankful and, and work on gratitude, and they found that gratitude was the thing that helped those who were struggling with, with uh, anxiety and depression. I also love what Jason said in his message about serving. How when we look at the life of Jesus, it was all about serving. Jesus even said that he came to serve and not to be served. And he calls us to serve too. And, and we believe that serving is not just a good thing for people to do, or it's not something that's only for certain people, but we believe it's an expectation that as followers of Christ, we will, you know, truly, as we truly follow him, we'll have a tug on our heart to want to be more like him and worship and serve. And you know, if you're, you're new with us here today, um, or have recently joined us, don't worry. We're not going to throw you in with the toddlers or the middle schoolers on your first Sunday. Uh, but we, we do believe that as we truly follow Christ, there will be a, a tug on our heart to serve and to be more like him. And I love how Jason put it as, as we, were, we were made and created to serve. And when we do what we were made and created to do, it leads to, to joy and fulfillment and peace. But when we don't do what we were made to do, it leads to us feeling empty and unfulfilled. And so, as, as uh, Doug said a couple weeks ago, you know, you're never too young or old to serve, but we need you in the game. And so today we're going to continue. We're going to dive into to the study of authentic life. And what I want to do is take a look at the book of Acts. So the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke, who was a traveling coworker with the apostle Paul. And it's the same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. And it's in this book that we have the continued work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through the beginning of the church. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 2. And to, to set up what we're going to read today, what's happened so far, is Jesus has told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem, to wait on this gift from the Father, and that in time they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so as they're waiting in Jerusalem, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and there was a violent wind, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in languages they didn't know. So that everyone there out in the crowd, the different languages being spoken, ethnicities, races, they all heard their language being spoken that day. And then Peter proclaims this message. He preaches the gospel that the same Jesus who did all the miracles, the signs and the wonders whom they had killed earlier was raised to life now. And that death could not keep its hold. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. And that Jesus, the same Jesus, is both Lord and Messiah, King and Redeemer. And scripture tells us that the people that day were cut to the heart and wanted to know what do we do. And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day the church grew, and the church continued. The story continued, and that's what I want to look at today is the continued story of this passage in Acts. Acts 2 42 through 47 is what we're going to look at, and it says this, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So looking at this passage, what sticks out to me is the second word in verse 42. Devoted. The early church was devoted. What were they devoted to? I believe what we see is they were devoted to worship. If you take everything that was added here and put together in these couple verses, if you take the, the teachings, the fellowship, the sharing of meals, the taking care of those who are in need, meeting constantly, being glad and praising God, that is worship. And worshiping God is part of an authentic life of following Christ. Now, when we think of worship, we often think of singing. That's the first thing that comes to our mind. And yes, singing is a part of worship, but worship is so much more. We, we often do what we call night of worship with our high schoolers a couple times throughout the year. And singing is only a small part of that night. Yes, we worship with our students every Sunday all, all throughout the year. But we take that night of worship and we use it to recenter our hearts around God. We, we usually start and I ask the question of what do, you, what do you bow to? What is it that you give your life to? And then we go on to, to sing and to fellowship and to break bread and to listen to messages and pray, and we take time to prioritize our life around Jesus, so that he is our focus throughout our daily life. We worship him. The scary thing is that we all worship something, whether we realize it or not. We are all worshiping something, whether we think we do or not. And if we're not worshiping God, then we're worshiping something else. Because just as Jason talked about last week, how we were made and created and wired to serve, the same is true of worship. We were made and created and designed and wired to worship. To worship the Creator. And if we're not worshiping God, then we're worshiping something else. And it's easy for us to often look at people in the Old Testament and people in the Bible and think, what on earth were they thinking? You know, why would you ever worship a golden calf that you created? That's ridiculous. Or to think, You know, I would never worship some little wooden idol thing like the people of the Old Testament did. That's not me. But there are a lot of little G gods, idols out there in our world today that that the world is worshiping and that maybe some in the church are worshiping. There's the worship of sports that's so prevalent in our world. There's the worship of, of comfort. There's the worship of pleasure, there's the worship of money, there's the worship of identity, there's the worship of America that we see all over the place. And those things, don't get me wrong, those things in and of themselves, the, the sports, the, the comfort, the pleasure, those things are not inherently bad, but when they are prioritized before and above God, that's when it becomes an idol that becomes worshiped. And the thing is, we could all go to church every Sunday, listen to the messages, sing the songs, even serve maybe, and it's still possible to not worship him. God says in Isaiah that there are people that honor him with their lips, yet their hearts are far from him. And I don't say any of this to be like, shame on you if that's where you're at, shame on the world and all that. I say this to to warn us and to say that just when we are worshiping God and doing what we are created and meant to do, it leads to the most fulfilled life. As Jason said last week, when we're doing what we're we're not meant to do, it'll leave us feeling empty and unfulfilled. But when we do what we were created to do, like worship, it'll lead to the most joy-filled, peace-filled, purpose-filled life, better than we could ever imagine. So what is worship, worshiping the one true king, look like? We see it in the early church, with the early church in Acts, but how do we define it? Uh, I have a couple definitions that I want to uh, I'll take a look at real quick. The first is by a man named Bruce Leafblad, who was a worship pastor and a professor of worship. And he says it like this Worship is communion with God in which believers, by grace, center their mind's attention and heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to His greatness and His word. Okay, there's one. Another one by uh, John Piper, who is a theologian and a pastor. He says it like this. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly, and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips, and demonstrable acts of love, and serving others for the sake of Christ. And so then, I want to share another definition. This is my definition, kind of taking what these two Uh, um, people said, and I'm not, you know, a professor of worship or anything like that, but my definition of kind of combining those and what I talked about earlier is, I believe worship is prioritizing your life around the rule and reign of King Jesus. Prioritizing your life around the rule and reign of King Jesus. And when we look back at the early church in Acts 2, they were devoted to God. They prioritized their life around what truly mattered. They did all the things they did because of their affection for the Lord, because they treasured, they valued, they enjoyed the Lord and because they lived knowing that Jesus is the King of Kings. A couple of months ago, I went on a spiritual formation retreat in the Great Smoky Mountains and it was a beautiful, amazing place. And it was led by one of my former professors at Johnson, uh, J- uh, Dr. Jody Owens. And he led us through this, this thought experiment that he had that I found pretty interesting and pretty convicting. And so while we were there, he shared with us this picture of a well-known place and statue that we're all probably familiar with. Uh, this, if you don't know, is a statue called Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Has anyone been there and seen this in person? Okay, couple people. All right, I would love to go there, but there's a statue of, of Jesus called Christ the Redeemer. stands 98 feet tall, 92 feet wide. Huge statue. Um, and he went on to talk about how... How well known the statue is? We probably all have seen it before, or know about it, and it's this huge you know, tourist site, a place that everyone you know knows about or tries to go to, and and just talked about that. But then he posed a question. He said, "What if there was another statue of Jesus uh, that is actually bigger than this one, but not as you know well known?" And I didn't I didn't know what he was talking about, but he went on to show show us this picture, which this is another statue of Jesus in Poland. And it's called, Christ the King, and it stands 10 feet taller than the one in Rio, uh, at 108 feet. And so, massive statue, and he went on to talk about the two and how Christ the Redeemer is so much more well-known than Christ the King. And in this thought experiment, he posed us this question. He said, why is it that Christ the Redeemer is so much more well-known than Christ the King? And he said, could it be that when it comes to Jesus, we are in love with the idea of him being Christ the Redeemer, who redeems us of our sins, but not as much in love with the idea of him being Christ the king. Hmm. We're all for making Jesus the one who forgives us and of our sins and redeems us, but do we want to submit to the rule and reign of King Jesus? Because that would mean that we would have to give up our own wants and desires and lay down our own life and be obedient to what Jesus the king is calling us to do. I think it's, if we're being honest, it's easier to acknowledge Jesus as Christ the redeemer it's a little harder to live as though he's Christ the king of our lives, but true worship is acknowledging Jesus as both redeemer and king. In Acts 2:36, right before the passage we read, uh, Peter makes a statement that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. He is both king and redeemer. And the authentic life of following Jesus is denying yourself, taking your cross, taking your cross uh, d- daily and following him, worshiping Jesus, who is both Redeemer and King. And the thing is, if we don't worship him, if we don't cry out and worship to him, Scripture tells us at least the rocks will. But again, we were created, we were made, designed to worship Jesus as King. And when we do that, it leads to the most fulfilled, joy filled, peace filled, purpose filled life. And in a world that is searching for something to fulfill, some sort of thing to fill the the void, the gap in their life, uh, a a, a sense of belonging, a place of of love, we have that when worshiping the creator of the world. See, worship does something to us when we truly do worship God as king. It humbles us. It sets our hearts in the right rhythm and in, in the tune that it's supposed to be in. Worship allows us to see our brokenness and our frailty. It opens our eyes to see just how great is our God and how much we desperately need him and desperately need to live in submission to him as king. And it opens our eyes to see the love that he showed us on the cross. We see also in in Isaiah's vision, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he was in the throne room worshiping with the angels and the angels were crying out singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. When he is worshiping with the angels, Isaiah realizes his, his own sin and has a better understanding of the holiness of God. And he becomes undone. He cries out and we see that worship allows us to see more of who God is and more of who we are and how we desperately need him. My worry for the church, especially here in America, is that we become so comfortable in our freedom that, that we have become lukewarm at times and our worship has become lukewarm that our priorities have gotten so out of whack that sometimes we may be worshiping God and, and praising him with our lips, but our hearts may be far from him. I'd like to share another story of a, a pastor named Wayne Cordero. He shared an experience he had when he was in China training leaders in the Hunan province. And he talks about how they went on to train 22 leaders and uh, the, the leaders came from a 13 hour train ride and came into the hotel two by two to act as though, you know, not look suspicious or not um, draw attention to themselves, and they all crammed into one small hotel room where they sat on the hardwood floor for three days straight from eight to five, eight a.m. to five p.m. without air conditioning. And he asked them when they were getting ready to teach. He said, "What would happen if we got caught here?" And they replied, "Well, you would get deported in 24 hours, and we would go to prison for three years." Wow. He said, How many of you guys have gone to prison for your faith? And eighteen of the twenty-two raised their hand. And then he went on to, to teach, and he had he brought fifteen Bibles and handed them out. So obviously seven didn't get him, get one of them. And uh, as they were getting ready to, to teach, he said, Go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And he noticed as soon as he said that, one of the women up front handed her Bible to someone next to her. He thought that was a little odd, but he went on to teach, and as they got into the scripture, he soon realized why she handed her Bible to someone else. She had memorized the whole passage. She recited it from memory. And so when it came time for a break, he went up to her and said, you memorized that whole passage? And she said, yeah, I've memorized many passages. And he said, where did you have time to memorize so many passages? And she said, in prison. You have much time in prison. And he thought, wow. He said, but don't, don't they, they confiscate the Bible when they find it? And, he, and she said, yeah. And what he found is that what they do is they would write pieces of scripture on pieces of paper and send it into them. He said, but don't they confiscate that piece of paper when they find it? And she said, yes. That's why you have to memorize it as fast as you can. Because even though they can take the piece of paper from you, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. Man, and then after three days, he talked about how he fell in love with this group of people and Um, It was time for him to leave. And he said, you guys have been such a blessing. How can I pray for you guys? And they said, well, Wayne, over in America, you guys can meet like this whenever you want. Can you pray that we could one day become just like you? And he looked at them and said, I will not pray that. And their eyes got big and they're like, what? He said, you guys rode on a 13-hour train ride to get here. In my country, if people have to drive more than an hour— they don't come. You guys sat on a hardwood floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You guys sat not only on a hardwood floor for three days, but also without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people often don't come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per home, per family. We don't read them. You guys hardly have any Bibles here. Yet you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that you guys will become more like us. But I will pray that we will become just like you. Wow. That is worship. That is what it looks like to prioritize your life around the rule and reign of King Jesus. There is a a well-known book uh, by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters. And uh, the book is a Christian satire in which this senior demon named Screwtape is writing letters to his nephew demon, Wormwood, uh, who is a junior tempter. And what they're doing in the book is about trying to keep this British man, known as the patient, from knowing Jesus and from following Jesus. And in the the book, C.S. Lewis writes, the, the demon writes, writes this. says, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and more amusing. And what C.S. Lewis is saying there, it goes along with what Jesus says in the book of Revelation, where where he's talking about how lukewarm faith is of no use at all. That Jesus would rather us be hot or cold. And he warns that the, the lukewarm faith will just be spit out. So church, my question for us this morning is what do we prioritize most? What do the priorities of our life look like? What is it that we bow to? What do we serve? I pray that our priority will be to serve Jesus as king and to live under his submission and not our own. Because that's what worship looks like and that's what the early church did in the book of Acts. And it happens when our hearts are renewed and we're filled with the Spirit. Jesus says in John 4 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And then in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, God says this. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws." The day is here and the time has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And that God freely gives his spirit out to all who ask and believe and call on his name. So that we can live under the submission of Jesus the King. And that we can truly worship and prioritize our life around him. The authentic life of a believer will be seen through their worship. It will be seen through their devotion and through the priorities of their life. So FCC, let's be a church that is on fire for Jesus, who has hearts that yearn and burn to love God, love people, and serve others. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the love that you have shown us first. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us to go to the point of dying on the cross, to take on our sins and face the wrath of God. Lord, you said that if we don't worship you, the rocks will cry out at least. But I pray that we may respond to your love and your goodness and your grace through worship, through centering our hearts mind and and our hearts attention on you, God, that we would seek you that we would seek to praise you and give you the glory that you deserve. God, you have been so kind and gracious and loving and merciful to us, and God, let us respond through worship, through singing, through serving, through gathering together, through being glad, and through, through worshiping Jesus on the cross. God, I pray that, um, that we may not be people who are lukewarm, but have hearts that yearn and burn to serve you and to worship you and to love you. God, I pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, bring us to our knees and worship. Bring us to you and may we honor you with our lips, but also with our hearts. We love you and praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd encourage you guys to, to stand up and worship and respond to the love that Christ has shown us.